Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. Okay, today we're going to be talking with somebody who recently had an extremely interesting article published on Alternet. Um, the title of the article, which was originally written uh, just after the election this past November, and uh, recently republished, the title is called An Insider's View, The Dark Rigidity of Fundamentalist Rural America. And before we get into the article, um, we're going to introduce our guest. But it's a little unusual this time because he prefers to remain anonymous. He has a Facebook page and a blog on a site called Tumblr. And it's called Forsetti's Justice, F-O-R-S-E-T-T-I apostrophe S, Justice. And that's where this article was originally published. <clears throat> now, I'm going to, uh, first of all, hello. Thanks for joining me. My guest there? 
Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely welcome. Um, this is uh, from an autobiographical statement on your blog. Now, I've taken the liberty to edit it and shorten it somewhat. So if you, you know, you want to jump in at any point and, um, you know, add to it or correct it. Uh, okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is from the autobiog- autobiographical statement. I'm a 56-year-old white male living in a Big Ten college town. I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, but grew up in a very rural, very small, very white, Mormon-dominated area of southeastern Idaho. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in philosophy. If I had ever written a dissertation, I would have earned a Ph.D. I understand that all too well myself. Um, I describe myself, he says, as a pragmatic idealist. Can you maybe give a little definition of what your idea of a pragmatic idealist is? Yeah, a pragmatic idealist is somebody who has an idea of what the perfect policy is, the perfect outcome, the perfect goal is, before well realizing that that probably is never going to be attained. So the pragmatic part is what, based on the circumstances we have right now, uh, all the variables, what's the best we can achieve in moving the bar forward? Okay, that's, that's, that's fair. That sounds good. Um, okay, continuing politically, I was raised in an Eisenhower Republican home. The only thing today's Republican Party has in common with Ike's are the name and the mascot, the elephant, I guess. Um, My mother drilled into me that truth, justice, and equality are fundamentally necessary for a functional moral compass. And you say that for for SETI's justice, uh, the blog, came about during the 2008 presidential election. I chose the name for SETI from the Norse god of justice. And justice is a prominent word in all this. So... What exactly do you mean by justice? I mean, justice means various things to different people over time. You know, fairness, balance, blind justice. Also, it can mean it has meant revenge, uh, summary punishment, like vigilantism. So what would you say justice is? Yeah, I don't take justice in the in the negative sense as like uh, vengeance or retribution. I take it as more, you know, we're trying to have fair and equal outcomes, you know, based on the best information we have. Mm-hmm. So if one person or one group have been disadvantaged intentionally or even not intentionally, if they have, what can we do to compensate for that and make amends? Okay. <clears throat> Justice. Um, uh, continuing, I write a lot about politics, equal rights, health care reform, race, loss, and grief for reasons I won't go into right now. That's in parenthesis. And whatever is irritating me at the moment. I like that. Um, I'm a self-identified progressive. I believe in progressive ideas. When it comes to progressive political strategies, suffice it to say, I think they are mostly mindless at best and idiotic at worst. If your strategy isn't helping to legitimately move towards forward, it's functionally useless. And uh, you also say... Excuse me. I disdain just about every single thing about modern-day conservatism. They are against everything I was raised and trained to believe in. And um, the blog's tagline is defending the social contract. Now, um, this sounds pretty silly, but um, is it possible for you to sum up (laughs) the theory or a theory of the social contract for people? I mean, you know, it's such a huge... uh, 
philosophy in an area with so many people involved. But can you describe right. it? Yeah. Well, the social contract in a nutshell is an, an implicit agreement by members of the society to cooperate for social benefits. Mm-hmm. And it's first, you know, put forth by Hobbes, refined by Rousseau, Locke, Montesquieu, all of which are the underpinnings of uh, early American, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, you know, all of our great works all came out of the social contract theory at the time. And then, you know, later day works like John Rawls, A Theory of Justice, kind of took it to kind of a new level. So it's really about, you know, the community implicitly agrees like like way back when. Mm-hmm. Like it's to our benefit to, you know, protect each other. Well, so, so we so can it's survive. Like, it's like uh, Franklin... Uh... Um, saying that uh, we almost hang together, or most surely we'll hang separately. You know, that's a yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then as, as societies progress and you get bigger, like at one point we say, well, you know, it benefits all of us to have a really good infrastructure, mm-hmm. and so we invest in that. It, it, it helps all of us to have our kids educated, even if you don't have kids, or all your kids are growing up and gone. You know, it benefits all of us to do that. So it's definitely. So that's kind of the, what the social contract is. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, so it definitely is not in the social contract for someone, uh, let's say, recently to say that he's not interested in paying extra money uh, or part of his taxes for somebody who's getting um, care and advice about pregnancy because, after all, he's never going to get pregnant, right? Right. Correct. That's not the right. social well, that, contract. And that's where that's where that's where John Rawls really comes into play because. He takes examples like that and gives us uh, kind of philosophical mind games to play, one being the veil of ignorance, where you don't know when you're making up a social policy, voting for it or deciding pro or con, you don't know who you are. And so that person makes that decision, they don't know they're a wealthy white male who's never going to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So they could easily be, and I used to have this experience when I taught philosophy classes with students, I would have them... You know, we'd pick a topic um, on social ethics. I'd ask them to make up their, you know, make up a policy for it. They would, and then I would hand them out, uh, you know, a five-by-eight card with a new identity. <laughs> yeah. Like you're you're a single black woman, you know, with with two children, working two part-time jobs, and so now now make your policy. And it was amazing how how they changed what the policy is. That's a great way to educate people. I, I assume some people f- probably did have their point of view changed by doing that, right? Yeah, I mean, on some level they did. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to get people to do that consistently throughout the day. It's like, you know, like, well, yeah, this is great. This is how it affects me. But what if I was in somebody else's shoes? That's mm-hmm. kind of what it is. Um, well, let's, let's, let's start off with the, uh, let's go through the article. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot in it, and it's a long article, and we'll, we'll try to do our best to, because it's, it's got a lot of stuff that's very important, I think, and people need to hear it. Um, once again, the article is, the, An Insider's View, The Dark Rigidity of Fundamentalist Rural America. Um, and this is how it starts off. In deep red white America, the white Christian God is king. As the aftermath of the election of Donald Trump is being sorted out, a common theme keeps cropping up from all sides. 
quote, Democrats failed to understand white working class flyover America, end quote. Trump supporters are saying this. Progressive pundits are saying this. Talking heads across all forms of media are saying this. Even some Democratic leaders are saying this. It doesn't matter how many people say it. It is complete BS. It is an intellectual, linguistic sleight of hand meant to draw attention away from the real problem. And the, so what is the real problem? Which continues. It doesn't matter that the election right, continues right to this moment. What is the problem? Well, the problem is that uh, a lot of rural America does not understand the, the reason why they're upset, the reason why they're angry and frustrated. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of it is because of decisions they've made, votes they've cast for 30, 40, 50 years. So it's a question. Uh, supply side economics is a good example. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, the town I grew up in uh, when I was, you know, in elementary school, middle school, high school was, you know, kind of economically confined. It's in good shape. Downtown was really busy. People's homes were kept up. You know, there was a, it was a nice community. And then it's starting in the you know, early 80s when supply side economics took over. It started to decline, and it's just been a steady decline. And every time I go home, it's just been in more decline. And the jobs moved out. The there's nothing to stand up, live for, in the sense of there's outside of farming jobs. You know, even like industries don't want to come in there mm-hmm. because you don't have a really highly educated workforce. So. You know, and even if they did, a lot of times those businesses are shunned, like they're not given approval to build because they don't like outsiders. So the decisions they've made kind of, you know, created the situation they're in. And and I guess they don't want to admit that. So that's really the. It's not really the this whole idea of the the eastern or the coastal elites, Democrats, liberals not understanding them. The more essential fact you're pointing out is that they don't understand themselves, and they're not. In, in, with not a, without awareness, they're not taking responsibility for their own uh, sufferings there. That's what you're saying, right? Right, correct. Um, and um, uh, the economy, for instance, we'll, we'll get to more of this later, but the economy is, um, is a result of all these things. And these are uh, a result of people who they voted for over and over and over again, even as they were going through and are going through this decline, that they kept electing people who, for some reason, they didn't understand or don't wish to understand, have it in for them, have no interest in, um, in helping them, and, in fact, are creating, uh, continually creating policies which uh, make their lives miserable. But that's something we, you focus on more uh, profoundly later on. So let me. one other thing you're saying here is, continuing, in deep red America, the white Christian God is king, uh, figuratively and literally. Um, and you say religious fundamentalism has shaped most of their belief systems. So this is all part of this uh, lack of uh, awareness or even the ability. I mean, a person learns, if they learn at all, if they're taught that way, to become aware of themselves, um, a framework you say, uh, you know, where you question, you learn, and you change, or hopefully change. But in fundamentalism, um, uh, basically it's black and white. There's no questioning it, and everybody outside uh, the member of your tribe is in, and in a position of power. Um, 
you don't understand them. You don't want anything to do with them. There's no accepting something into it. I mean, this is not just white, white rural Christian America. I mean, this could be a description of, uh, <laughs> of about three-quarters of the world, right? Oh, no, absolutely. No, I was just applying this to this one instance. Yeah. But it's true for any fundamentalist belief system. I mean, you know, uh, if, you, if there are some Muslim countries where there's a fundamentalist belief system, and let's say take the uh, uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel, that kind of thing, anything, it, questioning is the worst thing. I mean, to question authority, I mean, I guess this could account for a place, even though it's not religious, but a place like North Korea. I mean, it's a closed system, right? Right, yeah. Um, and yeah, so, fundamentalism is just not based on religion there. Um, yeah, it's just a sec- secular kind of fundamentalist uh, uh, life. Um, so um, you say, you say, you know, you're making the case that, uh, that, they, that people who grew up this way were taught this way, which uh, you grew up in, in these places, I mean, until, what, like your 20s or so or more? Yeah, I grew up there. Uh, I moved out the day I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Oh. I moved uh-huh. away. Uh-huh. But I still was kind of surrounded by it, and just uh, a lesser extent for till I was probably twenty-five, till I moved out east to go to grad school. And you mentioned your mother earlier. You mentioned your mother in the biography, you know, biographical statement. Um, were you brought up uh, in a religious family? Were there, was there religion? Yes. There? Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. would you call that? Was it a fundamentalist point of view? Um. From my father, yes. From mm. my mother, no. Oh, that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, my my father was much more strict fundamentalist in the religion that I was raised than my mom. Hmm. Uh, well, when it comes to uh, this kind of thing, and you're you're talking over and over again about people uh, not being able to understand because they weren't brought up to question anything. Uh, you say at some point uh, when you dis- you you but you have discussed and sometimes will continue to discuss and have discussed over the years issues and bring things up that are factual that these people don't admit that are factual and um, you point out things about let's say whatever you know equality poverty the cause of crime global warming whatever it might be racism and um, you say at some quoting from your article here at some point during the discussion they will say that's your education talking. And they say this in a derogatory sort of way, as a, a dismissal of everything you said. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's my favorite comeback to about anything. Um, I have family members that do that to me as well. <laughs> uh, but they get frustrated when, because you're like explaining things with information. You're saying, look, not just me, this is my opinion. Here are the facts, and you can lay the facts out in detail. Uh, you can create a, a, a mound of them as tall as Mount Everest. And at some point, they're just going to look at me and say, that's just your education talking. <laughs> at which I always respond, yeah, yeah it is, exactly. You say that <laughs> like that's a bad thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I went to school to learn how to process information and, and understand good evidence and what's not counted as evidence and what's a good logical argument, what isn't. Yeah, you're right, it is. What's your point? And they don't have anything. That's just, they use that because to them that is a slam. But why is it why is it a, why is it considered a, a bad thing to have too much education? How much and also how much well, education is good? How much education do they think is good enough? Any well in in a fundamentalist community, uh, education is good up to the point where you're no, you do not question any of the doctrine. Mm-hmm. 
So it's okay to learn how to read and write. Got to learn how to read scripture. Got to learn how to write things. You know, uh, whatever. But if, if you start learning to a point where what you're learning is going to call into question any of the doctrines, now it's bad. Hmm. So a college education. So, so, or, yeah, go ahead. Or so. certain topics are bad. Certain topics are bad too. You know, mm. certain science is really bad. Like chemistry, they don't really care. Right. You go ahead and be a chemist. Go ahead and be an engineer, but you know, don't be a geneticist. Yeah. Right. The possibility of don't be a biologist. Possibility of altering things or change or discovering perhaps uh, the origin of uh, species or where everything comes from, that kind of thing. Right, right. Because yeah. now you're going to question you know, a, fundamental, a fundamental belief. Um, so, uh, and believe me, I've had, like, like we talked about before, I mean, I've had this experience with, uh, uh, I'm Jewish, and I grew up and uh, spent most of my life in New York City. And um, uh, there are ultra-Orthodox Jews in New York City. There are Orthodox Jews and then ultra-Orthodox. There's some, t- some distinctions here. But, uh, are, you know, I've had some minor experiences here and there with, uh, with them. Um, and you know, when, I, when, I, when we're talking about, I keep asking you, how do these people feel? And I say, those people, these people. It feels a little strange to just group people into one. That almost is like a kind of... Um, a derogatory way of saying it, don't you think? I mean, uh, unless I'm being too liberal here. I say, what do these people think I'm asking you? This is what those people think. You know what I mean? It's a little, it seems a little less than understanding, but nevertheless. Um, but I've had my experience uh, sometimes running into uh, uh, this kind of fundamentalism with uh, with the Orthodox Jews in New York. So like I say, it is spread all across the, the country. But this article you wrote is about white Christian rural America. And you say here, moving on in the article, you say another problem with rural uh, Christian white America is they are racists. And when you say racist, uh, can you describe what you mean? I mean, people, something pops into people's head when you say a word like that. But what do you mean by that exactly? Well, what I mean by racist is they believe uh, that whites are superior to non-whites. And that can take uh, many degrees of you know, how, how strong they believe that. I said not all of them, you know, are members of the Klan. Probably very few are. But when push comes to shove, deep down in their heart of hearts, they truly believe that whites are superior to non-whites. And so political decisions, moral decisions that center around other ethnicities are made in that prism. Mm Mm-hmm. So the origin of this inferiority is what? I mean, you know, everybody who grows up in America, this is a generalized statement, would feel free to disagree. I think that anybody who was raised in America, uh, grows up in America, and maybe it's different as each generation goes on. I know my kids are a little different than I am. And, but racism is in the very um, blood and fluid of the body of America. I mean, it's a, you don't have to be a fundamentalist to be a racist in America, right? No. No, not at all. But this particular, no, but it, but, but yeah. they, but they have a, they have a religious, they have a, they have a very core belief in their um, psychological matrix, though, that is part is racist. Now, other people do too. I'm not denying that. Mm. I, I, I know many a progressive who I think have some racist beliefs that drive me crazy. Oh yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I'm yeah. not letting anybody off the hook here. It's not. It's not. I'm not saying just 
you know, Christian fundamentalists are racist. I'm not saying that at all. But it, but it does. But that is a a core belief uh, in their system that does have you know consequences down the road. But this, but the, but this extra added uh, little bit here is basically that uh, you're, I'm quoting from your article here is their white God made them. That is the people, uh, the white uh, Christians. Their white God made them in His image, and everyone else is a less than perfect version, flawed and cursed. Non-whites. Uh, are the color they are because of their sins, and at least the sins of their ancestors, uh, or at least the sins of their ancestors. Blacks don't have dark skin because of where they lived and because of evolution. They have dark skin because they are cursed. And this is from um, the scriptures? Or yeah. Took, yeah, this is yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, this is it. And, and this, is, uh, this is an argument that was used, uh, you know, uh, for slavery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the, it's the, that mentality has really never changed. It just takes on new forms. Mm-hmm. A, this is racism, a, racism in America never goes away. It just morphs into a different type of racism. Yeah, and and once again, uh, spreading this out a little, you know, d- deep and wide. I mean, uh, I re- I recently read a novel based on a lot of historical research, and then this is the kind of thing you learn in school if you do learn it in school. That uh, the imperial powers and the colonizers from you know, like the 1500s straight up until the 19th century, uh, you know, taking over the, the Europeans who took over the whole world always arrived with, uh, you know, uh, the sword in one hand and the cross in the other hand. And what justified this um, Holocaust against um, against um, people all over the world who weren't the same as white Europeans is this same kind of thing. Uh, they're heathens, they're savages. God did not favor mm-hmm. them. You know, we have the right, we have, uh, they put, you know, the Spanish arrived in Mexico, on the shores of Mexico, and they stuck, uh, you know, the flag of Spain in the sand right on the shore, and they stuck a huge cross in, the, in there, and then that's the justification for all that murder and theft that goes on in the American Indians as well, right? No, absolutely. So, you know, that I'm saying it's not racism is not strictly part of, you know, uh, Christian fundamentalism. Right. But they certainly are carrying on a long tradition of Christianity that goes back, you know, centuries. You know what it is? When you say that, you open up talking about, uh, you know, progressives and whatever the interchangeable words might be, uh, the uh, coastal elites, uh, coastal Democrats, liberals, just don't understand. Um, um, so are you, you're talking about like millions and millions of people. When you say white, rural, what's, what's rural? Like, like small towns, big towns, uh, small cities, places, and um, could be anywhere. Could be upstate New York, could be Vermont, could be, uh, you know, somewhere in the Midwest, Southwest, right? Anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I mean, rural is a very vague term. You know, it depends on how you define it. You know, I would say smaller towns, smaller areas, smaller counties that are fairly dominated by um, by a white demographic, by a Christian demographic. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is right. That can be upstate New York. It can be, you know, all across, you know, the middle of the country and, there's places in Northern California that way. I, I was just up in Maine uh, about a month ago for a couple of weeks, a place I've gone to uh, a lot of times in my life. 
And aside from a very small artistic, uh, actually not so small, but there's a, a, a little group of artistic and, um, and uh, liberal you know, political types. But it's basically, uh, you go to a place like that, and I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> there is possibly no more liberal place in the entire world. Except right. maybe, <laughs> it's a, uh, a lot of people have referred to it for a long time as the upper left side, right? It's changing now because actually there's a lot more, um, lot more money in it. There are a lot of people moving in who are on Wall Street uh, and certain corporate law and stuff like that. So things are shifting a little bit, but that's the way it is. But uh, when I go up to Maine, I'm always surprised, though I shouldn't be, you know, because I don't pay attention like a lot of people don't pay attention so much about what goes on around them. Um, Trump pen signs everywhere. You know, you don't see that where yeah. I am. And there is a kind of uh, narrow-mindedness and uh, blindness. I mean, and so you're talking about racism here. Um, so this racism, you can't, you can't discuss uh, the fact that, uh, oh, have you done this? I mean, have you engaged people uh, in these places and said, uh, well, this is this idea of, of uh, black people being uh, being poor or maybe uh, their skin even being darker is because of their curse by God. Have you actually tried to engage them and say this is a, just a, an absurd argument for various reasons? Have you actually done that? Oh, yeah. And what's the reason? Oh, yeah. I, uh, well, a couple of years ago, because um, I only get out to visit my family out there every couple of years or so, mm. uh, Last time I went out, and every time I go there, I just I get a little more depressed because the town is like all in a little worse shape than it was before. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's startling when you you know don't see it for a couple of years. And I you know I was walking around the town, and I just kind of remember the way it used to be, and I was thinking about it. And so I wrote it. I wrote an article in my blog about it, and because I always heard growing up that you know places like Flint. Or Saginaw, or you know any urban area. Um, I always heard about urban blight. Mm-hmm. And urban blight was caused by the moral failings of minorities, mostly blacks. The reason why they have drug problems, the reason why their homes aren't kept up, the reason why their cities are in decay is because of moral failings. And I'm looking around at the town I grew up in, and I'm going, "Okay, what's your excuse?" And you're just <laughs> You're just thirty years. Yeah, you're just thirty years behind. You know Flint. Mm-hmm. You know their their economic situation shifted harder and faster thirty years ago. Well, now now you're behind the schedule. But the same things are happening. Well, it couldn't be. And, I mean, it, certainly it isn't because I mean they would never say that God is uh, against them, or would, would they say that they failed God and that's why they're being punished, or what? No. Well, they they want to blame. They you know because they, what they did is they blamed. Minorities, for for what goes. The government's not helping them because the government's helping minorities. Ah. So if the government wasn't giving welfare to you know those those people, then they'd be helping us and we'd be okay. And like, well, they're not helping those people either because look at the cities they live in that you claim are in blight. Mm-hmm. You know what you're not understanding is the exact same reasons that you have your uh, decay in your city is the exact same reasons in almost exclusively the same reasons that they did in their cities. Mm-hmm. And yet you, you want to chastise them and say it's moral failing instead of understanding you're both in the same boat and it's caused by the same reasons a lot of that is supply-side economics, conservative policies. So is that just your education talking again or what? 
Of course it is. <laughs> but, of but, course it is. But, you, but, you know, good for you. You don't stop, right? I mean, that's what's part of what your no. philosophy is. You just keep, you keep doing, right. trying to do the, yeah, I, all right. You know. So, so I, wrote, I wrote the article, and, uh, you know, I have you know, Facebook friends and, you know, family, obviously, who live out there who follow my blog. And one of them forwarded or posted it. And some, some people in the community got upset. Actually, one person who has a business there printed it out and had it in his business for everybody to pick up because he was upset. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard, and I got, so I got all the backlash about it. I'm like, fine. So I wrote a, a follow-up article explaining why the backlash was ridiculous in a way because they were completely missing my point. My point wasn't me accusing them of having moral failings. My point was, you, you were going through the same things that minorities are going through, but you want to chastise them and want to excuse yourself. It's just like welfare. I mean, I can't tell you how many times growing up, and even now, if I go there, I can go to the, the local truck stop and have, you know, brunch or something. Mm. And somebody will be there complaining, complaining, complaining about, you know, those people on welfare and food stamps and blah, 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 and turn around and say, well, I'm going to the bank to, to cash my unemployment check. Yeah, they just they can't wrap their brain around the fact that you just complained about people who do this, but to you you're justified. Like, you somehow feel like you're owed that, but those people aren't. The social and the way they can do that is because those people are different and inferior. Mm. So here we are talking about you know people who are as you call you know as you define them as as racist you know grow up racist learn to be racist are racist uh, for different reasons um, and but then you know I think about all the political correctness of all the liberals I've ever known you know I mean real liberals or uh, people really on the left wing I spent a lot of my time on a radio station in New York City called WBAI FM it's part of the Pacifica Foundation you know those you know the Pacifica Foundation. No, I don't. It's uh, an organization that's got five radio stations, which are so far to the left that they are, you know, considered uh, <laughs> the FBI is invested, investigated. Yeah. In, I mean, it's, right. it's extremely, I mean, and wonderful stations and have, you know, uh, have uh, served people in this country and, and you know, helped, uh, you know, contribute to uh, the revolutions of the 60s and, and anti-war stuff. I mean, really incredible stuff. I mean, nothing like it. But on the other hand, uh, there are a lot of people who are not exactly uh, what I... Uh, you encounter these people on a station like WBAI and other radio stations like this, and you encounter, encounter this among liberals, which I'm sure you have. Liberals are always trying to be, and it's an old phrase now, uh, politically correct in a way. And, and part of that is not saying offensive things or naming names or telling it like it is about groups of people in the country. If you do that, you don't, you don't want to call people racist. It's not a way to engage them, and it's not fair. I mean, you've encountered that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't necessarily want to. I, I don't think sitting down with somebody and starting a conversation with them and calling them racist right out of the block is going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if somebody said to me, you know, I'm having a discussion with somebody, so he later says, well, you know, what, how would you describe that person? I might use racist, mm-hmm. depending on what they said. And that's just being descriptive. Um, so I think there's. There's times to use it and times not to. But if push comes to shove, if somebody asks me, like, well, 
I'm not a racist, and I'll go, okay, well, what about this belief? What about this thing you said? What about this, this, and this? And I lay it out to them. And they say, well, you calling me a racist? I'm like, well, I don't know how else to phrase it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I don't want to, but you kind of left me no choice. I have, I, there's something I found on, on YouTube. This is, um, we can get, do we have this up, this next piece? Um, yeah, okay, let's see if we can get this played. Uh, something I found on YouTube. This is after 9-11, right after 9-11, I mean right after 9-11 occurred, and uh, mm-hmm. lots of reactions to it. Um, and this is uh, in, in regard to a next point I want to talk to you about uh, here, about uh, what you mentioned is um, that uh, another major problem with closed-off fundamentalist belief systems is that they are very susceptible to propaganda, which I th- I think that's uh, really important, very interesting. But here's a little something I want to play. It's Jerry Falwell talking to Pat Robertson right after 9-11. A short piece. Yeah. What we saw on Tuesday, as terrible as it is, could be minuscule if, in fact, if, in fact, God continues to lift the curtain and allow the enemies of America to give us probably what we deserve. Well, Jerry, that's my feeling. I think we've just seen the, the antechamber to terror. We haven't even begun to see what they can do to the major population. I mean, the, ACLU, uh, the ACLU's got to take a lot of blame for this. Oh, yeah. And I know I'll hear from them for this, but uh, throwing God off successfully with the help of the federal court system, yes. throwing God out of the public square, out of the schools. Uh, the abortionists have got to bear some burden for this because uh, God will not be mocked, and when we destroy 40 million little innocent babies, we make God mad. I, I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make that an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who tried to secularize America, I point the thing in their face and say, you helped this happen. Well, I, I totally concur. Yeah, there you go. Um, and then you know what? It, you know who I didn't hear blame there. Who I didn't hear blame there was American foreign policy that's been interventionist in those countries that have created generations of people with hatred towards this country. Huh? I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, you didn't hear about uh, the, the, the long, long history of the CIA assassinating democratic leaders, of, uh, of supporting dictators and se- selling them, which we did, I think, just the other day, continually, uh, tens of billions of dollars in weapons to suppress everybody that they live with. You know, I mean, no, nah, we didn't hear about that. But, I mean, the kind yeah, of yeah, thing— we, we, never support, we never support dictators that are horrible to their people. Never. No, no, it's not something we do. Um, but but here, here's Jerry Falwell talking with Pat Roberts. Between the two of them, probably had millions of people uh, watching them, listening to them, following them, believing in what they believed. And uh, this idea of, uh, of uh, you say, another problem with closed-off fundamentalist belief systems is they're very susceptible to propaganda. And by extension, I think maybe it's also susceptible to religious and political demagogues, right? Phony sort of predatory... Uh, preachers and religious leaders, opportunistic broadcasters, people like that. Maybe we can, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you think about that. Well, yeah, because they're they're part of their tribe. You know, like nobody's going to believe somebody. Those people of uh, have those fundamentalist belief systems. 
you know, they're very wary and very leery uh, and skeptical of anybody who's not part of their tribe, however they want to define that. So if somebody can get in who they deem not just member of their tribe, but an authority in that tribe, then they can say and do whatever they want, and it will be believed and followed. Because they don't have the mechanisms internally to weed out the riffraff. You know, like your, your, your brain's a, a, a machine, mm-hmm. and there are certain parts of the machine that are missing when it comes in a fundamentalist belief system, when it comes to being able to scrutinize, analyze, question, you know, certain people, certain doctrine, certain beliefs. They just don't have it. So this whole thing is like a short circuit. I mean, as you mentioned in your article here, you say that, uh, you know, uh, they, uh, you say right, rural Christian white Americans have let anti-intellectual, anti-science, bigoted racists, two of whom we just heard, like Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Bill O'Reilly, the Stepford Wives of Fox, <laughs> and every evangelical preacher on television into their system because these people tell them what they want to hear and because they sell themselves as being like them. And this goes around and around and around, right? I mean, it's like a circular, like you say, it's closed circular system, right? Right, right, and it's and it's a in in a weird use of this word. It's a pure system. Like they they don't let anything get in other than what you know what's in there. And so everything, if something bad gets in, it just gets you know battered around and 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 exponentially increases over time. And I mean, you know the example I use is is meningitis. Mm-hmm. You know, bacteria meningitis, because your spinal fluid is is pure. There's no white blood cells in there. Hmm. The reason why meningitis is so dangerous is because if something, a bacteria gets into your spinal fluid, there's nothing to fight it off. Hmm. So it can grow, and it grows so quickly, uh, it causes so much damage rapidly because there's nothing to fight it off. Well, that's the same thing with a belief system. If you don't have, you know, mental white blood cells that can, you know, locate and eradicate, you know, bad ideas and bad opinions, bad beliefs, then those bad beliefs just get in there and do lots of damage. And this could, this could be, doesn't have to be for a tribe or a group or a country. It could be just even a, a personal thing, an individual. I mean, I've had plenty of experience with, uh, with uh, people who are, uh, and I'm not exempting myself, who have had a lot of really serious uh, emotional problems, who have been hospitalized for something like that. Uh, you cannot, you cannot tell them that what their fantasy is or what their imagination or their paranoid view of things is. You cannot because you're talking to somebody who just will not admit that it, that it could change, right? Right, right. And, and sometimes the reason why they're reluctant to change or, or see the problem is because to do so is to be look in the mirror and admit they're the cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, say, like, somebody who is racist, like, they don't want to look in the mirror because they see themselves as a good person. Pretty much most people view themselves as a good person. It's hard to look in the mirror and say, yeah, you're not as good as you think you are. The fact is, not only are you not good, you're kind of really bad sometimes. Look at what you've done. Look at what you believe. Look at the things you've said. That's just not human nature. But when you have... So yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you're fighting a couple of things. You're fighting the, the fundamentalist belief system, and you're fighting human, just basic human psychology. 
So when you have people like uh, Limbaugh, Hannity, uh, O'Reilly, uh, all these people, and these all these various preachers, I mean, it's really there's something really just detestable about the kind of opportunistic hypocrisy because they're making tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars off people, and um, they know that they have this uh, this this group of people that they can just sort of. Uh, continue this this ignorance with and they they just uh, you know it just offends me um people like i look at somebody like um Falwell, who is uh, not with us anymore um but i you know i look at hannity i listen to limbaugh um o'reilly these are people who have tens of millions of dollars which they have made off these people right yep like see, even yeah they don't they don't they don't they don't they have nothing in common with these people Nothing. And they don't care about them other than the fact that they can make money off them. How can I exploit them? Well, let's feed off their fears. Let's feed into, you know, the things we know about them, that they're willing to believe certain things, that they do have racist tendencies, that they, you know, are they're willing to believe that other people are all these horrible things that have been told to them for years. Let's play off of that for ratings and money. And they do it. They do it very successfully. Now, that happens on the left. At oh, times, yeah, it's just it's harder to do, and it's rarer because, for the most part, you know, progressives don't aren't coming up from that kind of fundamentalist belief system. Mm-hmm. We have we have tools at our disposal that fundamentalists don't have for the most part, but it still does happen. There's grifters on the left. Oh yeah, yeah, people have made a living off it, but uh, it is oh, it, yeah. it's less common, I think. Um, so everybody who's different is bad one way or another, and uh, they should be excluded. I mean, of course, the latest example and the most successful, quote-unquote, example of somebody playing to their fears and telling them what they want to hear, who has nothing in common with them, and in fact, his life is an example of everything that, that, that they don't believe in, is, of course, Mr. Trump. You know, Correct. I mean, uh, he shows up, you know, the Muslims, you know, build a wall to keep uh, the Mexicans out. So when it comes to gays and blacks and Hispanics, Muslims, women, whatever it is, um, um, you know, they're a threat. They're a threat for every reason and they're bad for every reason. And people are taking advantage of them. I mean, uh, this this racism is uh, racism is straight across the board. And a guy like Trump, I think, has uh, fed off people like this. And gotten elected, and um, how long this goes on, I don't know. But he's an, ex- an incredible example of what you're talking about, I think, here. I mean, he's a, a greedy, lying, fraudulent son of a bitch, a billionaire uh, who detests women, uh, who is vulgar, who is nasty, been divorced three times, adultery, you name it. This is really astounding. I mean, anybody who considers themselves a Christian... Uh, should be, um, you know, disgusted and, uh, you know, uh, repulsed by such a man. I mean, you know, it should be a man like that should be repellent to them. But no, he gets elected. Well, and look at look at his support among evangelical Christians. Why did they just evangelical? It's it's uh, amazing how high it is. And like technically, and you know, I grew up in a religious home. <laughs> like, how can you how can you square that circle? Like, how can you say all these things that I believe in? You know, this person's doing the opposite of it, but I'm going to support him. Well, because he's playing off certain other beliefs you have that override your quote-unquote religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. You, know, uh, you know, don't take care of the poor. Jesus never said that, apparently. But, you know, they, they, they cannot 
do it because again they to do so would have they'd have to admit we are our own problem we created this monster we voted for this monster they don't want to do that so when he says he could kill somebody in the middle of the street and nobody would care i think there's some truth to that mm-hmm. well it depends where they don't want to ever say we voted for this person right so if they voted for him, and even if there's an unconscious, a little spark of unconscious uh, understanding and awareness um, that they voted for somebody who is truly awful or may actually be hurting them, uh, that includes all the Republicans they vote for all the time, this gets suppressed yep. instantly. I mean, you can't, you can't admit that into the consciousness, I guess. You know? you, you, no, talk- because if it's that, well, it's just like any other. One of my, uh, one of my favorite philosophers from an epistemology standpoint, was uh, Willard Van Orman Quine, and he wrote a book called The Web of Belief. And he talks about belief system, and he uses the analogy of a spider web. And at the, at the center of the spider web are, are very central strands to that, to that web. You know, mm-hmm. and if you tug on that, if you break one of those, a lot of, the, a lot of the entire web will be damaged, if not the whole thing. Well, it's the same thing with belief systems. People put certain beliefs at the center of, of their of their web, and they're unwilling to tug on those and question those or deny those, because to do so, what else gets what else falls apart? Right, right. The whole you know, system. If you, for climate, yeah, climate change is a great example. You know, if you're a fundamentalist, you can't believe in climate change because only God can affect the climate. So if you say, no, mankind can, what else in your belief system now falls away with God not being the all-powerful person? And we're not going to do that. I'm not going to tug on that thread. Mm-hmm. We'll just leave it alone. I have, then I have to support this view. To do otherwise would to put into question the whole system. So It's a huge risk that people won't take. So we, there's so much to talk about here. I probably should have uh, asked you if you could do two shows about this. And you've got and you, you, the, part of the uh, article you wrote is uh, uh, something called the list of honest truths, which is really something about uh, listing all these things about uh, facts that uh, you know that they believe are uh, are real, but in fact aren't uh, what they believe, or just the opposite. But uh, we might not have time for that because we're getting near the end of it. Uh, you argue over and over again uh, in your article, or you state over and over again, that it's virtually impossible or it's practically impossible to ever change these people's minds. And you've given examples of why and how people have tried to do it and how it can't be done. But you do mention one thing in there. There is some hope, you say. There's one way in which people's minds, people who believe this way, how their minds could be changed sometimes. And that is by some personal catastrophe or personal uh, revelation, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you give an example of that? Yeah. Um, well, the one ex- example I use in the article is um, gay rights. Now, I know a lot of uh, religious fundamentalists who were as bad as anti-gay as possible, and who now are not as much. I'm not saying they're going to pride parades, but they're certainly not as homophobic and anti-gay as they used to be. And part of the reason why is because they were forced to come to the realization that many of the people they love and care for the most are gay. Mm. So it was more uh, the, the advocate, uh, Dan Savage, 
you know, for years would say, you know, if you can and you're willing, please come out of the closet. Because the more people that do, the better off we're all going to be because it's going to force people to confront their beliefs with reality. And he was right. And so as more people, and I have this in my own family, you know, my father uh, is very uh, anti-gay. And then when one of his favorite stepsons came out of the closet, all of a sudden he walked back a lot of it. Hmm. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Because he couldn't turn his back on one of his favorite kids. So he yeah. had to, he had to make that he had to make that change. It had to be personal, uh, and that's and, and that's what And that's sometimes what it takes, right? That's the way it goes. That's as right. Uh, but yeah. how do you right? But how do you personalize? I mean, without it affecting all of us, how do you personalize things like climate change, <laughs> healthcare? You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm constantly reading now. You know, all these tr- people who voted for Trump who are livid about the fact that they might lose their health care. Right. Well, what do you expect was going to happen? He, he ran on that. You know, but so is that, gonna, is that what it's going to take for you to, to not vote Republican next time? Maybe, maybe not. I doubt it. I bet a lot of them still do. But it's going to have to be personal. But in the meantime, there's all these other millions of people who are going to be, you know, adversely affected by that in order for them to learn their personal lesson. <laughs> Well, we that was the Great Depression. I mean, look at the Great Depression. I mean, look at the policies, the robber baron policies that were in place, you know, before FDR got in and put in the New Deal. People bought into it. Well, it affected them uh, it, to an incredible level. But with FDR, he, he took that and turned that in a way that created generations of Democrats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it took that big of a problem catastrophe to make it personal for people to start questioning, you know, the conservative, at that time, you know, the conservative uh, economic policies. Well, um, plenty of catastrophes will be available and more all the time uh, for this for this opportunity for people to get their minds changed. Uh, we're right, really right at the end of uh, at the hour here. Um, my guest has been, uh, is anonymous, but he is... Um, he he writes. Uh, he has a Facebook page and has a blog on Tumblr. T U M B L R, called Forsetti's Justice. F O R S E T T I apostrophe S. Forsetti's Justice. So, how can pe- can people get in touch with you? Can they can they hook up and see what you're writing? How how will people do this? Uh, well, they can either uh, follow me on Tumblr, and if they're not on Tumblr, they can follow my uh, Forsetti's Justice Facebook page because I always. Whenever I do write something, I post it there as well. All right. Uh, I know we didn't have time to get to some of these other things, uh, uh, like this list of honest truths, which is really great. But uh, I really appreciate your coming on, and um, I appreciate your uh, your courage in all this. Well, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, for SETI's Justice, check it out. If you can go to Facebook, if you're on Facebook, or if you want to go to Tumblr, this uh, website, which is sort of a blogging website, T-U-M-B-L-R, for SETI's Justice. All right, that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back next week. And let's go to the second song on that list. <laughs> 